Welcome to the Origen Podcast. I'm Pablo Aslan. In this week's episode, episode number four, Fernando Gonzalez and I interviewed Colombian percussionist and composer Samuel Torres. He speaks about the depth and variety of Afro-Colombian music and how it relates to the African and the indigenous rooted traditions in other countries in Latin America, and also music as a social statement. Y esta es nuestra primera edición bilingüe. Hablamos con Samuel Torres sobre la extraordinaria riqueza y diversidad de la música colombiana y especialmente las raíces africanas de esta música. If you think playing congas in a band or an orchestra means just keeping time or setting a groove, you have not heard Colombian percussionist and composer Samuel Torres. Yes, he has done that and more, playing in salsa and Latin jazz bands, collaborating with pop stars such as Ricky Martin, Alejandro Sanz and Shakira, and also with innovative artists such as Origen Collective members Sofia Rey and Lara Bello and pianist Arturo O'Farrell and the Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra. But Samuel's imaginative, melodic playing of the congas and creative composing and arranging has also been featured in concerts with the Berlin Symphonicor, the Boston Pops, the Bogota Philharmonic, and the Los Angeles Philharmonic. In 2019, he won a Latin Grammy in the Best Classical Album category for his work Regreso, a work featuring the Nueva Philharmonia Orchestra with Samuel as soloist. Give the Conguero some. Colombia gets often lost in the discussion when we're talking about uh, Latin American countries with great musical traditions, but the depth and the diversity of Colombian music is extraordinary. Um, can you talk a little bit about the drumming in Colombian music? Because I, I hear a bunch of different things that for some people it will be easy to connect with other traditions in Latin America, even the clave, you know. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, there's basically two important um, styles of music, Afro-Colombian styles of music. The one from the Pacific coast, that is what people know, Curulao, uh, and it's very tied to the sounds also from Ecuador and, and Peru. And for example, the, the salsa groups that are really famous from Colombia, like Grupo Nietzsche, they all come from the Pacific coast. And they include that feeling of the Pacific Coast drumming into the what they call Colombian salsa, you know, from Cali, uh, Grupo Guayacán. They all put elements of this tradition as traditional music in the way they interpret uh, salsa, especially in the early recordings of Grupo Nietzsche. And then you have this other kind of sound that it's very important in the Caribbean coast. And of course, the most famous rhythm of all of folkloric is uh, cumbia. And uh, something that becomes more popular now is, is vallenato, that it's uh, something more, let's say, popular, contemporary. But the cumbia and all the roots and everything that is around cumbia it's, is the most important thing of the Caribbean coast. These are the two special hand drummings uh, traditions from Colombia. Clave is, is, is this cycle and something that we do in, 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 in Afro-Colombian music that is very interesting is that because it doesn't have a clave, sometimes 
place with the two phrase cycle and and do an even number of bars intentionally to to create some kind of movement so it's not a stay all in the two bar but but you can play with it because you don't have the instrument nobody's playing it so it's more the intention that is there but you can play with it African music and and like that comes to our, our music has this ambiguity between what is a six eight and what is a four four. So when it gets really flavored, when you play in between, it's not exactly six eight, it's not exactly four four. And then you find that in Afro-Cuban music, for example, in rumba, Colombia, but you find it also in curulao, and you find it in chacarera, you find it. It's like an element that it's tied in all our traditions in festejo peruvian is the same if you understand that ambiguity then your ears open to understand a lot of the syncopation uh, that comes from from african traditions the other thing is how the tonic dominant system laid on top of the clave in in the music of the americas there, there's something very interesting about that i don't think a uh, that tonic and dominant as a harmonic element, you know, like C major and C and G7. No, tension but, uh, and release, right? Tension and release. And that's very important to understand Afro-Cuban clave because the way where you put the imp impulse, tension, and release in Afro-Cuban music is very different than in other parts of, of, of the world that use the same clave. An example. You, you pull the, the candombe from Uruguay. You have the same clave. Pa, 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 ka, ka, ka. But the accent, the impulse goes to the three part. Ra, ka, 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 ra, ka, 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 ka. But in Afro-Cuban clave, and what is very important is that the three is an impulse to the silent of the two. What I mean? Pa, pa. So the tonic is the two bar. Is the, the dominant. So that when some people, no, you're against the clave. No, this is a clave. It's different. It's different accents. And I have that situation with African musicians that I play because they play the clave and they say, our clave is African, but I feel it in a certain way. But when you talk about Afro-Cuban music, you feel it different way. So it's just the world is diverse. How has been the, the experience with playing with orchestras with the congas? Because I imagine in some context, I saw... Uh, this video with the, the Berlin Philharmonic, some of those players perhaps have never played with the conga drums before. And I wonder how, how, the, how was that experience and, and blending that sound with the sound of the orchestra? The first time I did it was in Bogota with the Orquesta Philharmonica de Bogota. 
And it was very scary because I did the, I premiered another piece called, uh, called Ciudad Oculta, that it was a piece for eight congas. So when I began to put the eight congas in the rehearsal in front of the orchestra, I saw the faces of the musicians going like this. <laughs> All these classical musicians were like, what is eight congas on a stand doing in front of a symphony orchestra? And the conductor, my good, my friend is like being my 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 associate on, on this endeavor of playing congas with symphony. The first thing he told me it was the premiere, and he told me, "Don't worry about how we're going how it's going to sound. We're gonna go to play from top to the end." He know he knew what he was doing. He needed the musicians to listen the whole concept of the piece. So they could understand what was the idea because the first reaction was just like, and they could just strike. And if they say we don't play this music, they don't play. But he said, don't worry about mistakes. We go to place from top to the end. When we finished playing that time, musicians clapped because they understood that it was a serious piece of music. So then the, rea the reaction was, uh, they support me, uh, oh no, let's do this, uh, you know, they began to, 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 to interact, like if you were playing like a, with a small group. And when we did the second piece, that it was also a premiere, a regreso in Berlin, also, of course, at the beginning, there were all these German musicians, they were like, wow, this six congas, what's going to happen? But it's very important also the, the music, it's very well written for them. In, in since the notation, all the articulations, everything, so the musicians feel comfortable. When, and they said, this is very well written, this is great music, we're going to play it. So there's no, it feels, it feels support, it was a teamwork, very beautiful teamwork. You mentioned the the eight congas, and that was I was where I was driving uh, with the the tune congas because yes, patato and candido and 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 those players and and there's a certain tuning and then but you have extended that uh, you, uh, you have done work with seven and eight congas, yeah. and uh, do, how do you tune it like a like a whole scale. It depends. It's 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 the it's whatever as a, the composer wants to do. You have eight. Of course, the range of the tumbadoras is not like a piano, so you you have limited limited range, maybe an octave and a half. But uh, you can do any scale you want. You with the notes you want. I you know pentatonic scales are really. Uh, more easy to blend with other music because they don't define a tonality. But you could do a octatonic scale, a whole tone scale, any mm. scale you want, a flamenco scale. I have sometimes play around playing all the uh, kind of more flamenco with the double uh, tensions and everything. And it's just, you know, playing like those sounds in the congas and it's all beautiful. So it's just up to the musician and the idea is. They are notes, and I and when I play with eight or seven congas, people misunderstand the concept of it. Oh, that they think it's about playing with seven congas. It's not about that. It's about being able to create melodies and and have a more deep harmonic uh, development in the in the instrument.
to tune the congas is not something new. Candido used to tune the, his congas, still he tune his congas to specific notes, always. Uh, but Candido was a tres player. So he began to play with the, the tumbao that he did on the tres. They began to play in the congas. Patato also the real master of tuning congas he he did that too he was a tres player so many of his tumbaos that he did on the conga come from the from the from the tradition of the tres and from the bass so uh, it's not new to tune the congas to specific notes it just if you tune to specific notes then you will have Uh, the responsibility of knowing what notes are you playing and how they will blend with the harmonic spectrum of the music you're playing but it's i think it's very important because when you tune if you have four congas and you tune it really good if you play only one conga that conga because of the overtones it will resonate you will have an instrument that sings And I think that's my personal experience. When you put the four congas totally in tune, you can you begin to to hear the the melodies and the singing of the conga. And the conga, since now that you can tune it with range, that you can have now even plastic heads that don't change the tonality with weather. So I think conga is a an, a, an instrument of a specific a note of a specific a tuning. One important thing to say about the, 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 the tumbadora, that is the real name of the, of the congas, uh, is that because of the thickness of the head, doesn't have too many overtones ringing. That the, so the amount of overtones that the drum has gives a special quality. Uh, you go to Jembe, you go to uh, the Tambor Alegre from Colombia, and many drums that they sound amazing, but they have a lot of overtones. So to find a specific fundamental note of the drum is not that evident. And because they have so many overtones, they have such a, a particular sound, it's very hard to implement these instruments in different styles of music. And I think that's why maybe the congas de tumbadoras became the most universal uh, hand drum instrument, because it's an instrument that it can fit many different musical styles you put uh, you can play salsa with it it's traditional salsa but you can play all traditional afro-cuban music you can play funky you can play african music you can play pop you can play classical music you know it's it's an instrument with a lot of possibilities
Samuel, one of the things that have, that have been intriguing is the um, the album that you did that it was called Force Displacement, and that is a a phrase in, in Colombia that it became unfortunately very um, common, uh, mm. desplazamiento forzado. And I wonder if if uh, you can talk a little bit about your impulse to do that piece and if and not so much also just as a musical thing but as a social statement perhaps and and what it represents for you well yeah it's it's a it's a very tough subject to talk about in colombia because in my research and the way everybody feels is like it's very hard to take any position on a situation like that because everybody's a victim so it cannot be a political thing because everybody has suffered i personally uh, didn't have to suffer the violence directly in my family but i had to see a lot of stuff and had to live in colombia in the most difficult time that the country had it was the 90s it went when that work what went out totally out of control so so I, the, the, the idea of the project came because in the around 2012, uh, the Colombia, Colombian government at the time uh, began to do a peace process with the FARC, with the with the, that now it it it, it ended up being the president of Colombia getting a Nobel Prize because of, of that effort, and it has a lot of things to get better, and and it's very hard to to also take a political. Uh, you know statement about it but what is undeniable is that there was a terrible conflict in the country and and thanks to that a uh, process you could talk about it you could express and call it what it was it was a conflict there was a political conflict it was a social conflict not only a terrorist uh, situation there was a really deep social problem that led for many years to to to, to that conflict so uh, if i in that ambience that we were able to talk uh, I think many many Colombians, my, many of my friends, we were thinking, okay, we have to how we get it can evolve or something you know, and the only way maybe I think as a musician I can get involved or support the people who have suffered is dedicating my art and, and do something to to the memory of those people who have suffered because of the of the of, of the war. So that that idea that I wanted to do dedicated to those victims, it take me to research how me as a Latin jazz percussionist, hand percussionist, could do something because the, the music of Colombia is so diverse, so rich, and have to find a symbol. So that that research and talking to a lot of folkloric uh, people who study folklore in Bogota and adding to social activism, they told me the guy to go is Emilcen Pacheco. Emilcen Pacheco is the master folklore percussionist from Bullerengue in the area of Urabá. The area of Urabá is one of the most hard areas in Colombia affected since the beginning of the 20th century uh, with an uh, terrible, terrible, terrible violence. When I grew up in Colombia, it was an area that it was that it was hard to go, uh, but. Yeah, I, I went there. I talked to Emilson. He 
Uh, he explained me, he talked to me, we talked about the situation, how he saw the music, how he was fighting in his community for education, for education in folklore, and how he saw the, the his music, Bullerengue, as a solution for many of the social problems that they found in those towns. So, so that ended up in my project, The Fourth Displacement. And now, in Spanish. Cuando conversamos con Samuel para preparar esta edición del podcast de Origen, nos maravilló con su conocimiento de las regiones musicales de Colombia. La percusión en el Caribe, venía conversando con, hace unos años con grandes amigos percusionistas, precisamente un gran músico que llevaba el Festival de Percusión de Barlovento en Venezuela, que la conclusión de las diferencias de muchas de las percusiones es circunstancial. ¿A qué es circunstancial? Eh, los esclavos que, 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 que llegaron a América obviamente no pudieron traer sus tambores. Entonces muchos recrearon sus tradiciones dependiendo primero de la geografía donde estaban. Ese es el factor determinante. determinante. ¿Por qué la música del Pacífico eh, tiene sonoridad de tambores con sonoridades más graves? Los, los parches de los animales son más gruesos y todo es, el, el tambor no está afinado tan tenso, pues precisamente porque es una zona muy húmeda. En el Caribe los tambores tienen mucho más brillo, eso es, eso es circunstancial. Eh, en diferentes colonias podían tocar el tambor en diferentes días, en ciertas colonias podían tocar el día de San Juan solamente al año, entonces por eso está el toque de San Juan. Eh, en otros, en, en Colombia, por ejemplo, no pudieron conservar sus religiones, entonces todas las tambores religiosos y los golpes religiosos y el idioma africano desaparece. Pero entonces de, todos son circunstanciales, hay, hay lugares donde en Venezuela tocaban el quitiplá, que son palitos de bambú, entonces son muchas circunstancias que pasan diferente. Algo que es muy interesante lo que diferencia a Colombia, algo que pasa en el resto del Caribe, es que las comunidades indígenas en el Caribe eh, primero no eran como, no tenían, no eran tan fuertes y fueron básicamente, eh, suena feo decirlo, pero fueron eh, aniquiladas. Entonces, realmente hay una gran fuerza de cultura africana y española combinando una música. Pero en Colombia, las culturas indígenas sí se conservaron y fueron fuertes. Entonces, la sonoridad de la música del Caribe colombiano tiene tres elementos totalmente identificables, que es la música indígena, es la música africana y la música española. Esa combinación de tres, de tres culturas no se da tan fuerte en, en las, las zonas del Caribe. ¿Qué instrumentos son? ¿Qué da la música indígena a la música de, de colombiana? Eh, las melodías, eh, la maraca, la maraca es indígena, eh, las, y lo que se empieza a conocer dentro del folclore, que es la música de gaita, las flautas de gaita colombiana son indígenas. Entonces, hay de, y el tambor es negro. Entonces, cuando tú hablas de, de tambor indio y tambor negro, empiezan a haber maneras de sentir el ritmo y sentir el beat. Por eso, uno de mis proyectos que se trataba de investigar sobre el bullerengue fue tratar de ir a la raíz más negra de la, de la música colombiana, que es el bullerengue, que tiene más conexión con el resto de la diáspora del Caribe. 
Entonces tú ves tambores tradicionales de bullerengue y golpes que tienen mucha similitud con cosas de la rumba cubana. En el baile, en el tipo de golpes que son más rústicos, son golpes más precisos. Cuando tú vas a las del tambor indio, tienes más redobles de tresillos. Entonces es diferente. Es, empieza a ver el tipo de golpe como en el tambor negro, el tambor indio. Entonces eso hace muy particular la música del Caribe colombiano. En Venezuela también se da. En Venezuela, pero Venezuela tiene otras influencias que vienen del llano. Pero la música maracaibo es muy similar a la música de, 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 del Caribe colombiano. En Panamá también se da. Y bueno, y luego la música colombiana es conocida a través del Caribe, especialmente en los 50s, debido a, a que fue llevada a otros países. Eh, Lucho Bermúdez, gran compositor colombiano, la llevó a Argentina y en Argentina fue donde grabó todos los discos de cumbia más importantes. Con la sección rítmica colombiana, la sección de metales era argentina y eso fue lo que llevó a esa música cumbia al sur y también la llevaron a México y en México estaba lo que estaba de moda, las películas y la gran industria cinematográfica mexicana. Eso de a conocer la música colombiana y la cumbia por, por el resto de Latinoamérica. Eso es muy, es, es el caso bien interesante de Colombia. Samuel, súper interesante. Eh, una pregunta, ¿qué relación tiene la, las, la música de las eh, costas, de Barranquilla, de Cartagena, de Santa Marta, eh, en relación con el resto del país? ¿Hay una diferencia ahí por estar en, en, en el Caribe? Sí, es, es, el caso de Colombia también tiene una, un factor circunstancial que es muy importante, que es la geográfico. Este, nosotros los colombianos a veces pecamos de creernos que somos maravillosos porque tenemos mucha diversidad geográfica, pero es, la ver, es, es, es una realidad. O sea, el, el, el final de las montañas de los Andes, que es tan importante, que es el factor decisivo en toda Sudamérica, termina en Colombia. Termina en Colombia creando tres pequeñas cordilleras. Eso divide al país. Esas montañas crean una subdivisión del país social y geográfica. Entonces, si tú ves el sur-sur de Colombia, tenemos Amazonas. Luego, uh -huh. arriba del Amazonas, tienes los llanos orientales que se conectan a toda la cultura de Venezuela. Entonces, ya tienes una sección ahí. Cuando vas por las montañas, tienes toda la música que se genera en las montañas y todo tipo de climas. Las climas también generan diversidad eh, eh, musical y social, porque la gente en climas calientes, en climas medios, en climas fríos, funciona de maneras diferentes, pues por el clima. Entonces tienes dos costas, es el único país de Sudamérica que mm. tiene dos costas, mm -hmm. que tiene Pacífico y tiene Atlántico y tiene el Caribe. Eso es absolutamente vital en lo que es la música afrocolombiana, porque los, eh, lo que se llaman los palenques son los lugares donde los esclavos que vivía, que se escaparon, los esclavos y marrones que se escapaban de, de, de la esclavitud, iban a los palenques que eran pequeños pueblos que ellos formaban imitando sus comunidades africanas. De hecho, el primer pueblo libre de América fue San Basilio de Palenque, ante, de, ante en, lo, en, el, en, lo de, en los años 1600, en 1700 alrededor, no me acuerdo exactamente la fecha, pero fue el primer pueblo de, eh, de todo el continente que se declaró en libertad de España, que fue San Basilio de Palenque. Entonces hay una gran comunidad ahí, pero hay mucha otra comunidad que se va para el Pacífico y eso crea otra cultura total, pues no es totalmente diferente, 
pero es otro tipo de género musical. Y ese género musical tú lo ves conectado con la comunidad afroecuatoriana y afroperuana, mm. porque es pacífico. Entonces tienes ya dos corrientes afro de gran importancia. Entonces se difieren los instrumentos. Por ejemplo, la música del Pacífico colombiano, el instrumento principal es la marimba de Chonta, que es una, una manera de traer el balafón de África Central a, 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 la, a, a las Américas. Y la música del Caribe es donde tiene la música indígena y las flautas. Y el... Claro, te iba a decir, lo conecta con Centroamérica también, ¿no? Exactamente, entonces es muy y, y hay un factor geográfico que es que es también muy importante, que es que entre Panamá y Colombia, Panamá por cierto era parte de Colombia antes, entre Panamá y Colombia hay una cosa que se llama la selva del Darién, es la selva más densa de todo el continente, es tan densa que intentaron construir la carretera panamericana desde Argentina a Estados Unidos y cuando llegaron al Darién eso nunca se pudo hacer, es la zona más densa y la selva más densa. Eso crea, obviamente, una frontera de, de comunicación entre Centroamérica y, y, y cultural, ¿no? En, entre Centroamérica y, y, y Sudamérica. Y una de las razones por la cual Panamá se independizó de, de Colombia fue pues, que Panamá estaba abandonada. Panamá, porque precisamente hay una gran frontera ahí que es el tapón del Darien. Entonces, Panamá estaba abandonada y pues, se independizó de Colombia por un montón de factores ya políticos y intereses. Pero si ves, la diversidad empieza a ser muy fuerte. Entonces encuentras la música de la montaña en Colombia. La música de la montaña en Colombia es música de guitarras, de tiple, que es muy, muy eh, imitando la música española, es la música de la sociedad, es la música criolla. Entonces tiene elementos de música de la síncopa del tres cuartos africano, pero, pero es una música con, con muchas formas, mucho desarrollo armónico, mucho... Eh, muchas formas europeas, básicamente con bailes, eh, con, como la contradanza, como el básico. Uh, ¿de, no, de, de, ¿De qué ciudad te refieres, por ejemplo? La música de la montaña la encuentras principalmente en Medellín, en Bogotá. ¿Cuál es la ciudad más antigua, Medellín o Bogotá? Más, colon, más colonial, digamos. Cartagena tiene que ser. La Cartagena, Cartagena es de las primeras, okay. pero Santa Fe de Bogotá fue también de, la, de, de las primeras yeah. porque hay, una, hay un factor muy interesante también por lo cual se entra, se entra a, la, a las Américas los conquistadores españoles y es buscando el tesoro del dorado la famosa yeah. leyenda del dorado que yeah. hay una en México pero la de, la, la de esta parte de, centro, de, de Sudamérica es la famosa val, laguna que había en la mitad de las montañas donde había un cacique que se vestía de oro y metía una balsa llena de oro y tiraba todo el oro a la laguna la leyenda del dorado, esa laguna se llama la laguna de Guatavita y queda a una hora de Bogotá Ajá. entonces la comunidad eh, in, eh, las comunidades indígenas más desarrolladas de Colombia era la comunidad muisca que quedaba en la plata, que vivía en el altiplano donde, donde quedaba Bogotá That was our guest, Colombian percussionist and composer Samuel Torres. And that does it for episode four of the Origen podcast. In this episode, we heard excerpts from Un Viaje a Cartagena de Indias, Samuel Torres with the Nueva Filarmonia from the album Regreso. Improvisation for Conga from Samuel's Origen Live series concert. And the overture from Forced Displacement by the Samuel Torres group. The Origen Podcast is produced by Pablo Aslan and Fernando González for the Origen Collective, a diverse group of New York-based Latino musical artists. 
Thanks for listening. Please subscribe on Apple or Spotify podcast to receive future programs and to visit our archives. Until next week, this is Pablo Aslan. Thank you.